Chapter 21 of O Money Money. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gary Day. O Money Money by Eleanor H. Porter. Chapter 21 Sympathies Misplaced. The first time Mr. Smith saw Frank Blaisdell, after Miss Maggie's news of the $40,000 loss, he tried somewhat awkwardly to express his interest and sympathy, but Frank Blaisdell cut him short. "'That's all right, and I thank you,' he cried heartily. "'And I know most folks would think losing $40,000 was about as bad as it could be. Jane, now, is all worked up over it, can't sleep nights, and has gone back to turning down the gas and eating sour cream.' so's to save and help make it up. But me, I call it the best thing that ever happened. Well, really, laughed Mr. Smith, I'm sure that's a very delightful way to look at it, if you can. Well, I can, and I'll tell you why. It's put me back where I belong, behind the counter of a grocery store. I bought out the old stand. Oh, I've had enough left for that, and more. I closed a deal last night. Gorry, but I was glad to feel the old floor under my feet again. "'But I thought you—you you were tired of work, and wanted to enjoy yourself,' stammered Mr. Smith. Frank Blaisdell laughed. "'Tired of work? Wanting to enjoy myself, indeed. Yes, I know I did say something like that. But let me tell you this, Mr. Smith. Talk about work. I never worked so hard in my life as I have these last ten months trying to enjoy myself.' How these folks can stand gadding round the country, week in and week out, feeding their stomachs on a French dictionary, instead of good United States meat and potatoes and squash, and spending their days traipsing off to see things they ain't a mite interested in, and their nights trying to get rested so they can go and see some more the next day, I don't understand. Mr. Smith chuckled. I'm afraid these touring agencies... "'Wouldn't like to have you write their ads for them, Mr. Blaisdell?' "'Well, they hadn't better ask me to,' smiled the other grimly. "'But that ain't all. Since I came back, I've been working even harder, trying to enjoy myself here at home, knocking silly little balls over a ten-acre lot in a game a healthy ten-year-old boy would scorn to play. "'But how about your new car? Didn't you enjoy riding in that?' bantered Mr. Smith.' Oh, yes, I enjoyed the riding well enough. But I didn't enjoy hunting for punctures, putting on new tyres, or burrowing into the inside of the critter to find out why she didn't go. And that's what I was doing most of the time. I never did like machinery. It ain't in my line. He paused a moment, then went on a little wistfully. I suspect, Mr. Smith, there ain't anything in my line but groceries. It's all I know. It's all I've ever known. If, if I had my life to live over again, I'd do different, maybe. I'd see if I couldn't find out what there was in a picture, to make folks stand and stare at it an hour at a time, when you could see the whole thing in a minute. And it wasn't worth looking at, anyway, even for a minute. And music, too. Now, I like a good tune what is a tune, but them caterwaulings and dirges that chap Gray plays on that fiddle of his. Gorry, Mr. Smith, I'd rather hear the old barn door at home squeak any day. 
But if I was younger, I'd try to learn to like them. I would. Look at Flora now. She can sit by the hour in front of that phonograph of hers and not know it. Yes, I know, smiled Mr. Smith. And there's books, too, resumed the other, still wistfully. I'd read books, if I could stay awake long enough to do it. And I'd find out what there was in them to make a good, sensible man like Jim Blaisdell daft over them. And Maggie Duff, too, why, that little woman used to go hungry sometimes when she was a girl, so she could buy a book she wanted. I know she did. Why, I'd have given anything this last year if I could have got interested, really interested, reading. I could have killed an awful lot of time that way, but I couldn't do it. I bought a lot of them, too, and tried it, but I expect I didn't begin young enough. I tell you, Mr. Smith, I've about come to the conclusion that there ain't a thing in the world so hard to kill as time. I've tried it, and I know. Why, I got so I couldn't even kill it eating, though I most killed myself trying to. And let me tell you another thing. A full stomach ain't in it with being hungry and knowing a good dinner's coming. Why, there's whole weeks at a time back there that I didn't know the meaning of the word hungry. You ought to seen the jolt I give one of them waiter chaps one day when he comes up with his paper and his pencil and asks me what I wanted. Want, says I. There ain't but one thing on this earth I want, and you can't give it to me. I want to want something. I'm tired of being so blamed satisfied all the time. And what did Alfonso say to that, chuckled Mr. Smith appreciatively. Alfonso? Oh, the waiter fellow, you mean. He just stared at me a minute, then mumbled his usual, Yes, sir, very good, sir, and shoved that confounded printed card of his a little nearer to my nose. But there, I guess you've heard enough of this, Mr. Smith. It's only that I was trying to tell you why I'm actually glad we lost that money. It's given me back my man's job again. Good. All right, then. I won't waste any more sympathy on you, laughed Mr. Smith. Well, you needn't. And there's another thing. I hope it'll give me back a little of my old faith in my fellow man. What do you mean by that? Just this. I won't suspect every man, woman, and child that says a civil word to me now of having designs on my pocket-book. Why, Mr. Smith, you wouldn't believe it if I told you the things that's been done and said to get a little money out of me. Of course, the open gold-brick schemes I knew enough to dodge. Most of them, unless you count in that darn Benson mining stock. And I spotted the blackmailers all right, most generally. But I was flabbergasted when a woman tackled the job, and began to make love to me, actually make love to me, one day when Jane's back was turned. Gorry, do I look such a fool as that, Mr. Smith? Well, anyhow, there won't be any more of that kind. Nor anybody after my money now, I guess. He finished with a sage wag of his head as he turned away. To Miss Maggie that evening, Mr. Smith said, after recounting the earlier portion of the conversation, so you see you were right, after all. I shall have to own up to it. Mr. Frank Blaisdell had plenty to retire upon, but nothing to retire to. But I'm glad, if he's happy now. And he isn't the only one 
that that $40,000 loss had done a good turn to, nodded Miss Maggie. Mellicent has just been here. You know she's home from school. It's the Easter vacation anyway. But she isn't going back. It's too expensive. Miss Maggie spoke with studied casualness, but there was an added colour in her cheeks. Miss Maggie always flushed a little when she mentioned Mellicent's name to Mr. Smith, in spite of her indignant efforts not to do so. "'Oh, is that true?' "'Yes, well, the Pennocks had a dance last night, and Mellicent went. She said she had to laugh to see Mrs. Pennock's efforts to keep Carl away from her. The loss of the money is known everywhere now, and has been greatly exaggerated, I've heard. She said that even Hibbard Gaylord had the air of one trying to let her down easily. Mellicent was immensely amused. Where was Donald Gray? Oh, he wasn't there. He doesn't move in the Pennock crowd much. But Mellicent sees him, and everything's all right there now. That's why Mellicent is so happy. You mean, has her mother given in? Yes, you see, Jane was at the dance too. And she saw Carl, and she saw Hibbard Gaylord, and she was furious. She told Mellicent this morning that she had her opinion of fellows who would show so plainly as Hibbard Gaylord did that it was the money they were after. I'm afraid Mrs. Jane has changed her shoes again, murmured Mr. Smith, his eyes merry. Has changed? Oh! Miss Maggie's puzzled frown gave way to a laugh. Well, yes, perhaps the shoe is on the other foot again. But anyway, she doesn't love Carl or Hibbard any more, and she does love Donald Gray. He hasn't let the loss of the money make any difference to him, you see. He's been even more devoted, if anything. She told Mellicent this morning that he was a very estimable young man, and she liked him very much. Perhaps you see now why Mellicent is happy. Good. I'm glad to know it cried Mr. Smith heartily. I'm glad. His face changed suddenly. His eyes grew sombre. I'm glad the loss of the money brought them some happiness, if the possession of it didn't, he finished moodily, turning to go back to his own room. At the hall door he paused and looked back at Miss Maggie, standing by the table, gazing after him with troubled eyes. Did Mellicent say whether Fred was there? he asked. Yes, she said he wasn't there. He didn't come home for this vacation at all. She said he didn't know why. I suspect Mellicent doesn't know anything about that wretched affair of his. Well, hope not. So the young gentleman didn't show up at all? No, nor Bessie. She went home with a Long Island girl. Hattie didn't go to the Pennocks either. Hattie has, has been very different since this affair of Fred's. I think it frightened her terribly, and it was so near a tragedy. The boy threatened to kill himself, you know, if his father didn't help him out. But his father did help him out, flared the man irritably. Yes, I know he did, and I'm afraid he found things in a pretty bad mess when he got there, sighed Miss Maggie. It was a bad mess all around. You are exactly right, ejaculated Mr. Smith, with sudden and peculiar emphasis. It is, indeed, a bad mess all around, he growled as he disappeared through the door.
Behind him, Miss Maggie stood still and motionless, looking after him with troubled eyes. As the spring days grew warmer, Miss Maggie had occasion many times to look after Mr. Smith with troubled eyes. She could not understand him at all. One day he would be the old delightful companion, genial, cheery, generously donating a box of chocolates to the centred table bonbon dish, or a dozen hothouse roses to the mantel vase. The next he would be nervous, abstracted, almost irritable, yet she could see no possible reason for the change. Sometimes she wondered fearfully if Mellicent could have anything to do with it. Was it possible that he had cared for Mellicent? And to see her now so happy with Donald Gray was more than he could bear? It did not seem credible. There was his own statement that he had devoted himself to her solely, and only to help keep the undesirable lovers away, and give Donald Gray a chance. Besides, had he not said that he was not a marrying man anyway? To be sure that seemed a pity. A man so kind and thoughtful, and so delightfully companionable. But then it was nothing to her, of course. Only she did hope he was not feeling unhappy over Mellicent. Miss Maggie wished, too, that Mr. Smith would not bring flowers and candy so often. It worried her. She felt as if he were spending too much money, and she had got the impression in some way that he did not have any too much money to spend. And there were the expensive motor trips, too. She feared Mr. Smith was extravagant, yet she could not tell him so, of course. He never seemed to realise the value of a dollar anyway, and he very obviously did not know how to get the most out of it. Look at his foolish generosity in regard to the board he paid her. Miss Maggie wondered sometimes if it might not be worry over money matters that was making him so nervous and irritable on occasions now. Plainly he was very near the end of his work here at Hillerton. He was not getting so many letters on Blaisdell matters from far away, either. For a month now he had done nothing but a useless repetition of old work, and of late, a good deal of the time he was not even making that pretense of being busy. For days at a time he would not touch his records. That could mean but one thing, of course. His work was done, yet he seemed to be making no move towards departure. Not that she wanted him to go. She should miss him very much when he went, of course. But she did not like to feel that he was staying simply because he had nowhere to go and nothing to do. Miss Maggie did not believe in able-bodied men who had nowhere to go and nothing to do, and she wanted very much to believe in Mr. Smith. She had been under the impression that he was getting the Blaisdell material together for a book, and that he was intending to publish it himself. He had been very happy and interested. Now he was unhappy and uninterested. His book must be ready, but he was making no move to publish it. To Miss Maggie this could mean but one thing. Some financial reverses had made it impossible for him to carry out his plans, and had left him stranded with no definite aims for the future. She was so sorry, but there seemed to be nothing that she could do. She had tried to help, by insisting that he pay less for his board. But he had not only scouted that idea, but had bought her more chocolates and flowers than ever, for all the world as if he had divined her suspicions and wished to disprove them. That Mr. Smith was trying to keep something from her, Miss Maggie was sure. She was the more sure, perhaps, because she herself had something that she was trying to keep hidden 
from Mr. Smith, and she thought she recognised the symptoms. Meanwhile, April budded into May, and May blossomed into June, and June brought all the Blaisdells together again in Hillerton. End of chapter 21